I was much better at containing my enthusiasm this time around because it wasn't as an exciting race. Uh, so I was reflecting on it, and I really enjoyed the race. Um, yeah. Oh, we should it was, we should do we should do the thing. Oh, let's do the thing. Welcome to the F1 Files, <laughs> folks. This is. Uh, Hold on. I wanted, to, I wanted to just talk about the race before we did a podcast <laughs> about the race. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. This is the the, the trial run. Um. The the sprint qu- uh, qualifier. No. No. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. All right. Well. Welcome mm. to the F1 Files, folks. I am your host, Corey Willis. I'm an improviser, comedian, writer out here in Los Angeles, California. What's up, buddy? <laughs> this is uh, this is John Lapore. I'm a creative leader out here on the East Coast. Sean. Uh, what would you? All right. So you you already said this race wasn't as exciting, and I wanna uh, I wanna follow that with you know uh, it, it. Yes, it was this. Ra- you're right. This race was not as exciting as possibly the most exciting Formula One race that we've seen in modern modern times. Exactly. Um, but I thought it was. It was actually a really interesting um, follow-up to the unbel- the remarkably thrilling British Grand Prix yes. that we saw last weekend. In that this race, uh, I, I felt that the British Grand Prix was really exciting. It was a lot of drama, a lot of excellent driving, and uh, it, it emphasized how amazing these drivers in the sport are. Yes, and I thought that. Today's race in the the Austrian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. I thought really emphasized what a team sport Formula One is. Yes, yeah, in, in several several different ways. There was a lot of really interesting. Like I was on my toes through a lot of this race, not oh, yeah. sure where things were going. It did. There was no point at which it seemed like we had a really crystal clear sense of how everything was going to shake out because there was a lot of team driven strategy at mm-hmm. play this was very heavily strategy based this weekend well let's uh let's let's back up here for a second and 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 get into our uh, our scale uh so uh, our scale uh this week uh, I think we will. We you'll understand why we are going to use this scale, uh, and I think it's a scale of like fires. Uh, let's say uh, let's say fires. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, the 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 like the one. So this is going to be kind of a little weird, but it's like how bad would you want this kind of fire in your life? Uh, so on a on a scale of one to ten, let's say like. Uh, a fire that you do not want would be like you're running late cooking dinner and it's a grease fire and you're like, ah, oh, I don't even know where the baking soda is uh, or like where the fire extinguisher. Mm. I, I have to like move a bunch of uh, stuff out of the way to get to the fire extinguisher to put this out. Uh, so that's like the the one on this scale on up to uh, the perfect campfire that is like roasting embers. It's just that like orangey kind of undulating flame, not a roaring flame, but the kind of flame mm-hmm. that is perfect for toasting s'mores. Just like you, you're not really going to burn the the actual marshmallow because it's not an actual open flame. It's just like 
this almost liquid type smooth flame that doesn't feel that dangerous. Uh, something mm-hmm. that you could like fall asleep to. You hear like the crackling of the 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 logs as they're disintegrating into ash, like that kind of perfect fire. So that's I'd say that's our scale of like roaring so grease good, fire. Ba- bad fire to good fire, basically. Yes. 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 Um, all well, right. We- so I'm I'm gonna rank this one. Oh, Jesus, this is tough. I'm yeah. gonna rank this one not quite a. Uh, roaring s'more roasting campfire, mm-hmm. but I'm going to classify this more as a, uh, let's see, it's cold out, but there's an old discarded oil drum uh, barrel okay. that me and several other hobos are circled around and enjoying the the warmth of while exchanging and trading uh, hobo war stories, yeah, you're, uh, it, which, which and your, yeah, your, all your shoes are busted out on one side. Uh, exactly. Like, exactly. Like yeah. But yeah. the, but the fire is great. The fire is just what we need and is providing comfort. Uh, and if you're not following along with your chart at home, that squarely puts it at a seven and a half. That's a good, yeah, that's a good, a good wholesome fire. I'd say for me, kind of in 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 regards to uh, uh, like uncertainty of this fire being what I want, but also what I'm like a little bit worried is out of control and that I can't like gauge how it's going to go. So this one would be like uh, like a bonfire at like a homecoming uh, event, like a high school, mm. where it's just like like. Maybe it was organized by adults and kind of like monitored by people. The fire department is close by. There are a couple of people in the crowd who are also like fire volunteer firefighters. Uh, but like the fire's just getting- someone threw like a radio in it, you know, yeah, and uh, you know what's there? Anything could happen. <laughs> it could melt and it could send up like a really cool, weird, acrid smoke and cool colors. Or a battery could explode uh, in there and uh, could like rain uh, fiery battery acid down on like a bunch of wow. uh, people who haven't even like wow. reached the age of like uh, voter eligibility. So they're like scarred for life. So it's that kind of like, oh my God, this is amazing, but also yeesh. Um, I don't yeah, know if be I careful. Those are D things. batteries. Those are D batteries and those aren't double A's. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd say, yeah, that for me, so that, that puts it at like, probably like a six for me, a six or a seven. So I like, I do Mm -hmm, want the mm -hmm. fire, but I'm a little bit worried that it's out of control. And I think that kind of, for me, it's a sprint weekend thing. It's a sprint weekend phenomenon because I just don't know what's going on. I know the format at this point, it's become like, I'm kind of certain of what it's going to be. I know there's going to be one free practice. I know that we're going to jump right into qualifying. I know that we're going to get that sprint and we're going to get another practice session in there uh, before the actual race. So I know that like all of this is, it's happening, but it just feels like, too much at once, like too much mm-hmm. at once, too much to keep up with. And then the race itself, it's on the, the Red Bull ring, which is like this tiny, very short track with a very small amount of turns. I think there are only 10 turns on the whole track versus yeah. last weekend, which was like 20 some odd turns. So it's like, 
it, it, a lot of the turns are unsighted. Uh, the the pit entry is this like area that's been this like danger zone because you can't tell if someone's diving into the pits or if they're staying out and trying to like make a move on someone that you can't see who's ahead of them. So it's there's just so much uncertainty. But oh boy, did I love it. Oh boy, did I wake up early and was I ready to watch this and ready to just take in every last moment of it um, uh, all weekend long from from Friday on up to this morning. It was it was great. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, you were describing the track and I've always wanted mm-hmm. to go out and visit this track just because it looks like it's in yeah. the most beautiful region. Like it looks like it looks like it's a million miles from anywhere. It mm-hmm. looks like it's totally nestled in within the sound of music countryside yeah. and and whatnot. And uh, I was always thinking it'd be be really nice to like take my wife for a getaway in in Austria and then you know swing over and visit the the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, yeah. But I will say, after hearing a little bit about what was going on at the track, uh, yeah. you know, what was it, what was this Friday and Saturday? Friday there was, and Saturday specifically, but this has been like looking at those threads on Twitter, looking at the accounts of fans, specifically uh, women and uh, and queer people and uh, and people of color who go to this race over the past like five to ten years. There's been a fan. There's an element of that fan base, and it is. Uh, and I, I know that we give Verstappen and Red Bull some shit, but it is the Dutch fan base of Max Verstappen that there is an element of that fan base that goes very dark and is awful and has made people feel unsafe, has made people feel the target of racism, of sexism, of homophobia. I mean, there are women who are like, I wouldn't, I, I went there 10 years ago and I wouldn't have walked from my RV to the bathroom. Yeah, ten yeah I thought I heard stories of like women getting groped and like ganged up on by, yeah. by, by, you know, people who would, who were there partying too hard and whatnot. And just like, yeah, it just sounded, uh, sounded pretty rough. And it's, it's a shame because I, I really, I, it looks I, amazing. It's like, I, I also oh, yeah. enjoy like a, a quote unquote rowdy atmosphere. Yeah. At an event like this. Like I do find it amazing that, the you know the astronauts in outer space are looking down and are like what is that orange cloud emanating over europe today yeah that's it's and you know that that sort of chaotic energy that that comes with it just sounds like uh it's we we haven't realized that there's also a really dark side to that yeah gee and you know yeah that resonated for me here and that here and that here. So that, that kind of, that kind of sucks. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the, you know, the sport is recognizing it and, you know, there's mm-hmm. folks that are, that are calling it out and addressing it. Um, but yeah, just, you know, yeah, it really, and it, I mean, I haven't seen all of the media updates, but when it was initially announced every single team, every single person, uh, except for one team and one organization uh, uh. came out and they were like, yeah, this is unacceptable behavior. We will not tolerate this in any way, shape or form. Uh, and Red Bull Racing did not 
make a statement uh, about a race that is being held at their own track with most of their own fan. Like if there is a group of people that will listen to <laughs> like an announcement, it's the people who this announcement is targeted at. And it's the people who could make an announcement. Like they could very easily be like, we condemn this. You are not welcome. I think Max did say any of this behavior is, it makes you not a real F1 fan, which is like, it's such a, I, I hate that response because it's such a general like tut tutting of like uh, it's like don't don't look you're no you're no fan of mine if you're a bad person and it's like yeah but they're still right. buying your gear they're still rolling up to your race they're still cheering you they're still targeting people who are your competitors like it, it doesn't matter if you speak vaguely but if you say something specific in this moment it's going to be helpful uh, and I I haven't I mean again I haven't paid attention to the media that much but beyond that kind of general statement that verstappen made uh, i haven't heard much else from that team and that's that's unfortunate it's it's sad yeah i mean i can't say i'm shocked no by it and i and i don't mean that in like the most negative of ways it's just you know uh, you know it's uh, yeah well it's a, the, it's, it, it's a cultural like perfect storm right it's a it's yeah. a, uh red bull uh, if you're anyone who knows Red Bull is like, oh, that's like Red Bull. It's the energy drink that a bunch of rowdy uh, college aged kids, uh, usually men uh, who put themselves at risk and the people around them will like pound one or two of them uh, and then go and like do wild things. And as someone who was college aged and did very reckless things. I would absolutely pound a Red Bull or two before I'd go and do them. So I like I know I know what this is. Uh, I know like if I was a part of that culture and I'm like I fancy myself as a good person, uh, um, I know that there are people who are involved with this who do not care, uh, who will take those Red Bull cans, crush them against their head, and then throw them uh, at. Uh, of a car that's approaching them in an oncoming traffic um, at, to get a laugh from their friends. And it's like, that's the kind of cultural crossover of people who Red Bull like speak to. <laughs> uh, so then you got F1 and that's a whole other. Whew. I mean, at the, at the same, you know, and at the, at the same time, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to try and paint. Yeah. yeah. Red Bull as like, you know, the, frat boys of the paddock or or something like that you know like and and again i mean as someone who loves the energy and enthusiasm around the sport like yeah i loved being at the austin grand prix and seeing at the track and then later that night downtown the like squad of 20 dudes wearing orange like three-piece suits yeah uh, bright orange you know because they were all you know uh crazy crazy Verstappen fans like I just I I appreciated that I was like cool I like that I like that oh, sort of you know literally one of the like not one of several of the people who I met when I went to a race over in Abu Dhabi I was there with one person who I knew and almost every other person I encountered or ran into uh was Dutch and they're amazing and they were all Verstappen fans and like it was such a beautiful moment uh, to like connect with other race fans. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I met 
like literal like dads who brought their sons uh and daughters who were like in verstappen gear and this is back before red bull was really competitive so it's not like there was this like even like it 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 was like a contingency that was was building and growing and like it was beautiful and it just feels as though it has kind of been in like infiltrated or co-opted by a small subset of that fan base that wears those same colors and cheers for the same person and just does like the worst shittiest social behavior that is just inexcusable. Um, yeah. So, and I'd, I'd like to think good for the sport that this year we're hearing about it. And as you mentioned, it sounds like this is something that we have not heard about in previous years and has very much been a part of the experience here. So I think that's, yeah. That that in and of itself is a is a step forward. You it's know. progress, right? And it's not. Yeah. This is not going to be like a, a you wave your hand and this type of behavior is going to disappear because this is unfortunately a part of human behavior that we 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 face in all other aspects of uh, social uh, of social interaction. So like, it's not going to disappear from this just because we've like addressed it. So it's it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be a progress thing. Um, and. And and I mean not to mention that you know motorsport in general is always yes. been a pretty a pretty uh, rough cloud of toxicity yeah. uh, in in certain ways pockets. or in certain certain pockets you know yeah there's like there's a lot of really weird uh, you know uh, stuff tied up in there um, mm-hmm. all right uh let's so the actual race though yeah we've 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 talked but i think that thank you for bringing that up john i think that that is it's critical to talk about that kind of stuff because as much as we love this it is there are like the dark underbelly of it is like you can't just completely ignore that so yeah um but yeah let's 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 turn to the race or the race is i should say um yeah uh so what stuck out to you early on this weekend before we even got to the sprint? Um, you know, I I was pl- just like being pleasantly caught off guard by like, oh, it's a sprint weekend. That means there's qualifying on on Friday. Like that's mm-hmm. like, kind of like a little exciting uh, exciting thrust for for me. But beyond beyond that, there wasn't anything that uh, blew me blew me away. Um, I guess I will say. Uh, and this is almost a little bit disassociated from the race weekend, but mm. on Friday, I think it was Friday, maybe it was Thursday morning, I spoke, uh, I, I just happened to have a, a meeting related to my my business with this uh, uh, young woman who's an up-and-coming filmmaker who mm. was at the uh, British Grand Prix. And oh. was actually had had some amazing access and was hanging out in some of the garages and whatnot during the race. But she had relayed to me that when Zhou Guan Yu had his incident mm-hmm. on the first lap, that it was such a completely different atmosphere. And I mean, we were puckered up watching this on television and yes. going through that awful experience where they won't even show the crash. Like they won't even show the replay because they don't know the outcome of it yet. Yes. And that everybody on site was having a similar experience in that they didn't know how 
Zhou Guan Yu was doing. Yeah. They didn't have any any confirmation of his safety, but they had, depending on where you were positioned, had clearly witnessed Could see his, yeah. his crash. And uh, she she had seen it and the teams all saw it and everyone in the stands saw it. And she said it was like the most intense, you know, atmosphere in the air and that it actually like everybody was still shaken for the rest of the entire Grand Prix. And I just thought that was that that for me kind of resonated and just kind of put that that event in a new light to think that like, oh yeah. And then everyone's standing there being like, oh, are we all, you know, uh, you know, standing here in this, you know, sharing collectively this horrific event together yeah. and, and whatnot and, and how, how wild that was. So sorry, I know that's a bit no, off, no, but that's off, off topic and, and subject, but that I, and I wasn't expecting to hear that when, when I was talking to this person, it just sort of came Oh, I was at the Grand Prix. Oh, I was hanging out in the paddock. Oh, and I was just like, what? Yeah. Uh, so that, that kind of, kind of blew me away and, uh, was, you know, another just kind of reminder of the, the intensity that comes with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a hundred thousand plus people all sharing in like a wildly traumatic event. I mean, it's like that is wild, and also it it kind of it it if you think about it way back when, not even way back when, like you know, thirty years ago, there were accidents that would happen, and people wouldn't know if their teammates were still alive and would just have to go back out. I mean, quite literally when Senna had his crash, when he died, like people didn't know that he was dead. People thought he was, Oh, he's at the hospital. And like, like they're, you know, it's going to be rough and we're going to have to go and see him afterwards. And I hope he's all right. Like that was what was going through these drivers minds. So like it, it, I can't even imagine I can't imagine being a spectator who then has to like rally um, uh, and be like, okay, now it's time to watch something that is supposed to be one of the most entertaining things that I could experience after I just potentially witnessed like someone die. Like that is such a, what, what, how do you hold those two things? And it sounds like it's impossible to hold those two things uh, in you at the same time. Like it just sucks the energy out of the Grand Prix, which I I, I get it. I get it. Um, As fans watching from home, we have a much different experience, but it must be amplified uh, amplified when you're actually there, especially amongst like drivers and teams and like staff and and family and like friends and like what? Yeah, there's no small talk happening. Any small talk that's happening is hushed and like terrified. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's important yeah, so, to, to, to address that. My, my apologies. We're like we're 15 or 20 minutes into this, and I'm and I'm uh, keep steering the conversation down like the darkest avenues uh, hey. uh, imaginable. Um, next, next, we're going to talk about, uh, where, you know, what the, what, what it's, what it's like when, uh, these teams actually collect this horrifically, uh, mined fuel 
to use in their car. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, the, uh, the way that, yeah, they, they actually can't use pumps. They use people's, uh, they use actual physical labor. Um, so, uh, all right, well, let's, let's just real quick in qualifying. There were a couple of things that happened. Uh, Merck looked amazing. Uh, they, mm-hmm. in the first couple of, uh, the first couple of rounds of qualifying, um, they looked so great and then they looked really, really great. Um, and Lewis crashed and, uh, that sucked that, that absolutely sucked. The fans cheering also sucked. We already addressed that, uh, for the most part, that's like part of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, and so the, the qualifying session comes back online and then like almost immediately George Russell crashes. So we had two Mercs that were looking really good at a track that they don't usually look good at after one practice session and then they both crashed out so that was a little bit frantic perez this was this is like the foreshadowing for the weekend was perez violated track limits in the second session of qualifying and then Mm -hmm. it was investigated after qualifying itself so he was allowed to continue on and try to qualify he ended up qualifying third i think uh and then because of the fact that he violated track limits, he was then pushed down to 13th at the start of the race. So it was like a, like it, that should have been a clear indicator to every driver and team that like, Oh, track limits are going to be enforced really, truly enforced. And then we did see that later in the race, uh, in the grand prix specifically. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. Uh, seeing that second practice session, seeing all the cars, practice their slipstreams and like finding the people they were going to be behind and then like literally like rocking up to their uh to their rear wing and like spotting out like oh i'm gonna try and pass this person on the outside oh i'm gonna try and pass them on the inside and like see if i can use drs to like leapfrog people uh multiple cars and then again in the grand prix we absolutely saw that in like full effect so that was like great to see uh just like strategy wise this was like a weekend that was heavily reliant on strategy so they were like strategizing and i think not that i want to see sprints happen every weekend but i think creating that atmosphere where these teams are a little on their heels and have to strategize and come up with these alternate plans i think makes for better racing in the grand prix uh that that's what it felt like Hmm. at least um on a track that i i don't know i it's a fun track to watch a race on, but it's even more fun to watch qualifying on <laughs> because these cars mm-hmm. shred that track. Um, yeah, uh, in qualifying, but uh, but yeah. So in the sprint race, Fernando Alonso electrical issues out of the sprint race right away. Yeah. Uh, he he was like prepping. Could, he was doing couldn't get all, his shoes tied in time, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it was, he was, so like Fernando was doing like all the Alonzo things, all the veteran, th- like he was not doing burnouts uh, leading up to his grid spot because yeah. he didn't want to put rubber down on the car behind him. Like didn't want to yep. put rubber, like he was doing all yeah, these yeah. like very, like just such, I love having him in this sport because he does this stuff. Uh, so he was like strategizing even before the start of the race it was just yep. so I, I i loved that but then he uh literally couldn't get his shoes tied and then uh had to like um take his jacket off and uh walk very slumped shoulders back inside as everyone else got involved with the biggest snowball fight they've ever seen 
Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, then we had um, Perez went from 13th to 8th on that first lap. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, Pretty wow. savage. Yeah. Wow. Perez has... He has this car dialed in. And he said something about, like, these upgrades aren't great for me. It's like, well, that's scary because when an upgrade for this Red Bull is now tailored for you, wow, you are going, you are going to be a world champion. If he sticks in that car and they start working with him and developing that car and treating him as a co-equal driver to Max, he will be, much like Nico was challenging Hamilton, I think that's what's going to happen with those two. There's going to be a real hmm. battle back and forth for superiority at Red Bull. And they don't know. They've never had to deal with that before because they've never had yep. two wildly competent drivers other than Danny Ricardo and Sebastian Vettel. But like that didn't work out. Well, either. We saw we we did see a good bit of uh, Vettel and, and Weber, uh, you know. Yeah, smashing, yeah. smashing oh, heads. Oh yeah, it was Weber. Yeah, Weber was, was multi multi twenty one and all that. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But then Weber dis. I mean, not disappeared, but he retired. But uh, uh so yeah, that was that was great to watch Perez uh getting in there. Ferrari. Whoa, I was shook that they were going to take each other out in this sprint race, John. Mm-hmm. That and Carlos even came on the radio and was like, I. F- isn't the fight up front? Like, what are we doing? Um, yep. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, in no uncertain terms, it was like, hey, tell Charles to stop defending so hard. We're trying to beat Max, right? And then Charles was just like, no, I am proving my point. I am I am the number one driver here. I loved the way Charles drove this weekend. Uh, I really, I loved it. It was, it was so cool. What else from that, uh, from, from the sprint race, Johnny? What else did you, did, did you see in there? I mean, to me, the biggest standout of the whole sprint race was seeing Mick yeah. Schumacher um, just be able to keep Hamilton from getting around him for, it seemed like it was forever. It seemed like it was it was like 10 laps of Hamilton just not being able to make his way around him. Lap 14 all the way up to lap 22. Yeah. Like he kept him behind and did it cleanly. I mean, Hamilton got yeah. on the radio and was like, "This car is going off the track." But that's I I love that they do that. But it's but it also, wasn't it wasn't like weaving back and forth. He wasn't you know it, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't dirty uh, blocking. But that's and, also what every driver does. They like when they're being yeah. defended like that, they will come on the radio because their yeah. engineer is going past this guy. What's going on, right? Like, why yeah. are why why are you not able to pass this guy? So then we pick up a radio broadcast of Hamilton being like, "This guy is going off the track." So it's like it's just back and forth. They want to play up the drama. I get that. I fully understand it. It's okay, but it's helpful to know the context of these radio broadcasts because they they really the FIA broadcast team is really doing a great job of playing up drama when it's unnecessary. Rubbing. I mean, if they could, if they could hone their abilities on when to, you know, interrupt the the live action with replays, that would be that would be that cool. would be appreciated in both during in both the sprint race and in the main race. 
there were multiple key position changes that happened while they were just showing like the fifth different replay of, you know, the same old incident. Yeah. And uh, that, that just drives me crazy. But we, we talked about that last week. Uh, But they did it again, but it happened with with Hamilton and Schumacher in like this, like eight lap long battle. They kept cutting away and it was like, this is, this is for the final sprint point. This is the most important thing that is happening on track. Ferrari is not going to battle each other anymore. Like it got to the point of where Leclerc was far enough ahead of signs and Verstappen was still had enough of a buffer that like Leclerc wasn't really there. And quite literally, like the important matchup was Hamilton and Schumacher. And they kept cutting away to showing like random, ugh, almost track limitations or like a slow-mo. And it's like, don't show that. And then they did it again in the race with Hamilton and Schumacher. Like that yeah. was like a pass that they they kept trading places back and forth. And the final pass they missed. They just missed. Uh, totally missed Hamilton finally getting by. Uh, it was yeah. It was pretty infuriating. So then Perez was crushing it in this sprint race too. Like mm-hmm. he he did not stop at that first lap move. He sliced his way all the way up through the field, uh, like literally all the way up through the field uh, and made it to what? Fifth. Um, yep. Uh, so started 13th and made his way up to fifth in like 20 laps through a bunch of other cars, including <clears throat> Hamilton and Schumacher who were like battling it at like, mm-hmm. and he like, he got by like Hamilton. He got by Schumacher and Magnuson in like one of those like beautiful Perez moves yeah. of just like knew his line and took it. And by the grace of God, other cars did not end up in his way because I can't imagine him correcting that passing move without taking out at least one of those hosses, if not yep. both of them. Like he sliced between nobody. I mean, on a literally just made it look absolutely effortless oh. uh, was was incredible. He's so good. Perez is such a good driver. And I I know we've said it and we're going to I want to keep saying it like that dude needs to get his due. Uh, I don't love Red Bull, but I truly love Sergio Perez. And if he ends up winning a championship in a Red Bull, great. Wonderful. I just want to see this dude win a championship at this point because <laughs> he he is. He stuck it out for long enough. He's like a journeyman driver. Uh, who's <laughs> like, I mean, getting his like win in the pink Mercedes after he was out of contract, like just all these things were so critical for him. And I would love to see him win a championship. But yeah, then we had we had uh, Hamilton finally getting past uh, Schumacher. Um, right? That's that's what ended up. Oh no, no. Yeah, Hamilton did get past Schumacher. Yeah, he 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 yeah. made his way past past Mick eventually, but yes. it was it was very difficult work for him. Uh pretty pretty exciting to see and 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 I think, you know, really nicely foreshadowed some stuff that that we would see in the main race as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so we end up uh finishing up the the sprint. Um uh, I was listening to the 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 breakdown of it and I can't remember who was saying this, but someone was saying this on a podcast that uh, one of the F1, the BBC F1 podcasts that like they used to hand out laurels, like actual like laurels, like the, the leaf, mm-hmm. like necklaces uh, for like race winners. And they it, like, instead of the medals, like I do wish that they held like 
would put those medals on laurels because that would look really, really cool. Uh, so just like an aesthetically pleasing moment that I think that they're missing out on with these sprint races uh, since they're not <laughs> handing out trophies. It's like right, right, right. Put, yeah. like, put like a proper like laurel around them with like these ivy leaves and are like gorgeous. Like, yeah, uh, it's a perfect moment. So, yeah, we have uh, Verstappen, Leclerc, Sainz, Russell, Perez, Ocon, Magnussen and Hamilton getting them points in the sprint uh, in between the sprint and the race. There was a driver's meeting. Did you hear about this at all? The Sebastian news? No. What was what, what was this part of the track limit stuff? Uh, this was so. This is like the pre Grand Prix meeting. The FIA has a required drivers meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. the, there's old footage you can see, like a bunch of it, uh, especially with like uh, old like Senna footage. Senna and Bernie like arguing back and forth in these drivers meetings. Uh, they don't know they don't film them anymore. They don't allow cameras in there. Um, they usually keep a camera outside of it. But apparently, in this meeting, uh, Seb was saying that he a big thing that Vettel has been complaining about is the rotating cast of stewards. So if there's an issue with something at the track, then the next race, usually the next Grand Prix, you can't bring up the issue with the stewards because it's a new bunch of stewards. Right, so right, right. a big thing that Vettel has been pulling for like very quietly, but consistently for over a decade now is like, we need consistency with stewards. They at least need to be not rotated out every race, but there should be something consistent so that we can address issues race by race and they can be changed race by race instead of addressing something that happened at last week's Grand Prix that then doesn't get addressed and then is forgotten about by the next time we come back to that racetrack or there are new stewards. And now there's a new race director that is being like rotated out. So we have multiple race directors. So it's removing the ability for the drivers to actually affect change Safety concerns, mm-hmm. actual real change uh, with the actual race direction, Grand Prix by Grand Prix. So, so, like, Sebastian, I guess, in the middle of the meeting, like, brought this up and they were like, we're not going to address this. And Seb was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. I'm so sick of you guys doing this. I'm not staying in this meeting. We're not getting anything done. I'm leaving the meeting. And he left the meeting. And the FIA mm. was like, this is setting, you are setting a very bad example for young drivers not adhering to the governing body. Uh, you will be fined if you ever do, if you do this again for the rest of the season, one more time, one more time of messing up in the driver's meeting, you will be fined 25,000 euros. Uh, so that's like this suspended fine that Sebastian yeah. Vettel is now has like hanging over his head, which is 25,000 euros to either one of us tons of money uh 25,000 euros to an f1 driver not a lot of money uh and also seb is making a good point here where they do need to be able yeah. to have feedback addressed and issues like changed and safety concerns uh um ad- addressed between grand prix they do uh so seb left this and they're gonna find him if he leaves another driver's meeting uh that's where it stands but it is a result of Seb actively trying to fight for the rights of drivers to address safety concerns between Grand Prix. And now the Mm -hmm. FIA is literally like trying to make him look like he's irresponsible and not representing drivers and setting a bad example. I mean, this is Seb rides his bike to Grand Prix because he doesn't want to use petrol. He refitted Nigel Mansell's old uh, Williams to run on biodiesel. Like, 
I mean, he's a climate change activist. He stays at tracks afterwards to pick up trash. And the FIA is saying he's not a good example because he won't stay in a bull <laughs> driver's meeting. Uh, the FIA, yeah. We're not big fans of the FIA, John. I'm becoming less and less of one uh, as this season goes on. And I hope that it goes away. I hope that they're just like a governing body that has nothing to do with F1 soon. Um, I, I really do. It's... Yeah, I I just continue to admire uh, Sebastian more and more, uh, which is saying a lot considering that you know during his championship run, uh, oh. he was like my least favorite champion Absolutely. of the of the modern era, and I was you know I was very very happy to take the piss out of him any chance that I got. Absolutely, and uh, now I think he's he's turned into one of the most you know. Uh, uh, respected and and fascinating figures in the in the sport. Yeah, changing literally wearing the rainbow flag in countries that have outlawed mm-hmm. um, uh, homosexuality. Just to be like, what's that? I said gay rights. Uh, and like the country being like, <sighs> well, I guess you can get racier. Um, uh, so it's he's a great dude, and it's unfortunate that the FIA is really set themselves up to be more of the villain than they already are mm-hmm. let's get to the race john we're deep into it this is the actual grand prix though this is what happens on sprint weekends though it's it's too much it's too much it's great but it's too much so the race gets underway baltas starting from the pit lane because he had to take all new everything <laughs> basically mm-hmm. a new power unit uh they changed his rear wing to be a better wing to pass people but then he got stuck in traffic all race and couldn't pass people uh so Bat- uh botas just had a, a rough he had a pretty rough race um yeah uh, that was that was unfortunate uh, um but yeah, what did uh what what about the actual Grand Prix? What did what did you think, Johnny? So uh, I'll I'll blitz through kind of my biggest takeaways, and we can kind of circle back. I don't I don't know if we have to go kind of like lap by lap through it because um, there was there was a lot of minutia to this race, and you know I had I had already mentioned you know it really felt like it was putting a big emphasis on strategy and yeah. as as well as just the dynamic of how you can win races as as a driver but you can also win races as a team and you can also yes. lose races as a driver and you can lose races as a team yeah um before we uh, before, before we jump into that yeah, yeah. do we think um red bull won a race uh one as a team um or uh lost as a team one as a driver lost as a driver what do you think for for them um you know i think it's well it's it's hard to say because sergio just had had a real rough break in his very very early incident that ended up causing uh I, and i never got a good look at the damage but it sounded like the damage was surprisingly severe like yeah yeah, I, I didn't see it either, but it, I'm guessing usually what happens with that is when a, a car, when a wheel hits a side pod, it's not just the impact of the, the wheel itself. It's the fact that the wheel is moving and like shredding it. So it's like yeah. it did a ton of damage to that side pod, but I don't think we ever really got a a good clip of it. Um, or but it, it seemed like from the moment, even though he went back out to continue on with the race, it sounded like it was going to either... 
you know, completely hamstring him or make yeah. it very difficult for him to finish. And they ultimately retired him. So I think it was hard to see, like, because we we lost that sort of team dynamic. I think yeah. we saw we saw other pieces of it from uh from other teams mm-hmm. in in different ways. Um, but you know, it's uh, you know, again, um Mick Schumacher is a huge story to me. Yeah. Uh he he got the driver of the day. Yeah. Uh like well uh, earned uh driver yeah. of the day too. Not not like, oh, it's Mick in the points. It's like, no, it was Mick like driving the hell out of that car and coolly, calmly defending against a world champion. Held again. his own against the world champion and against his uh, much more senior teammate, yeah. uh, Kevin Magnuson, who he ultimately got around. And it's been, you know, it's been very apparent that Mick is the number two driver on that team. But, uh, you know, I think we're seeing. I think this weekend we, is different. Yeah, we're, we're seeing. Yeah, I yeah. think we're like witnessing a growth spurt right before our eyes, yeah. you know. And, and it's going to be really exciting to see where this goes. So, yeah, uh, Mick Schumacher finishing sixth. Huge. I yeah. think that's absolutely. And Magnuson I, finishing seventh right behind him. So it's mm-hmm. like. Yep. You've got a double point score for Haas, so that's like a huge team win, and I think a driver win uh, yep. there. Um, so let's uh, um, let's go to Ferrari. Mm, maybe maybe we'll do Ferrari last. Let's do Ferrari last. Um, uh, let's let's shift over to Mercedes. Do we think that this is um, driver win, team win, or both? Um, I think it's a I think it's a team win mm-hmm. um, because. Uh, you know, everything that played out seemed very calculated and very strategic, like even to the point of um, when when late in the race, you know, Hamilton switches on to the medium tire. Yeah. Like he seemed to even be like, I, you know, like, why what are we, are we on guys? these tires? Like, what what is this? And it was, you know, all part of their plan because everybody, you know, you could hear this throughout some of the radio communications. You know, they were even communicating to Max at a certain point and we're saying like, why don't you speed up a little bit? Uh, cause we're trying to match Hamilton's pace. And Max is like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. we're in completely different races. Like what's going on? They're like, no, no, no. We expect that, yeah. you know, uh, then, 20, 20 laps from now, then 30 to, laps from to now. Save his ego. They were like, yeah. no, just go ahead. Just you're free to race. Like, and it was like, no, no, he was not free to race in that moment. Like in that moment, yep. they were like, Ugh. If we don't, we're, we may have to like put the spurs to Max uh, at the end of the Grand Prix, and it might be to fend off Lewis Hamilton, um, which they did not want to say that out loud. But like, as people watching the race, like, I was like, oh, that's what's happening. They definitely, it's, they still need him to do like, what was it, like a 10.5 or so? It was something like some, some specific, um, like second per lap uh, that they were yeah. trying to get him to do that was like perfectly matching Hamilton. And then like he came in a little bit faster the following lap after I think he was like, Oh, sh- I don't want to be racing Hamilton right now. I can't race. I can't maybe lose to mm-hmm. Hamilton uh, in front of my home crowd. Like, Oh my God. No. Um, <laughs> it was great. So yeah, I think Merck. I, yeah, I think Merck had had a solid team race. I think that Hamilton had like a solid race as well. I think George had a solid race. They may be, uh, in addition, maybe the only 
team on the grid that really had both drivers get a win and the team itself get a win. Uh, and I, I know that we're both very biased yeah. here towards Mercedes, and I, I'll, I'll admit that. But just looking at it objectively, yeah, uh, one Red Bull retired, and then let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, Johnny. That Ferrari. And, you know, things were looking so unbelievably good for both Ferraris. So um, it it was really looking like we were going to see a Ferrari one, two. Yeah. It was looking like we were going to see Carlos signs, make his way around Verstappen. He was all poised to do it. And just as he was beginning to close that gap and I was starting to rub my palms together, say, all right, this is going to be, you know, one of the most exciting battles of the, the whole race. We just saw, uh, (laughs) yeah. Did, did you did you study the replay of his engine exploding? Because it's amazing. I mean, yes, I want to see the slow mo. I slowed it down. I like did a screen, like I pulled out my phone, recorded it, and I've like slowed it down just to see the multiple. Like you can see the different parts of the engine blowing up. Like you can literally watch the different components all fail at different moments it's there's a view where you see it burst in a way where it almost blows the side pod completely open yeah like it's It's like like a like a really serious like a cartoon fart under like a sheet like it's like it like billows out um and that was after like the initial explosion. That wasn't even the first explosion. That was that was like maybe the third actual explosion that took place. Because the first one is him on the straight. He's like on the inside of the track and just sparks fly out of the exhaust. And you can just see that yeah. like it just blew a pit. Like just the engine failed right then and there. And then like he gets over to the side of the track and then like a second explosion happens. And then the third one happens that kind of does like the like billowing thing on the bodywork. And then he goes over the curbs. And as he goes over the curbs, that like third or fourth explosion that happens, the fireball happens and like the engine explodes. Like you see actual things like exploding out from the bodywork not just like a a flex of but like carbon shards or flex are like being blown out um like smoke actual like black smoke not just like the gray like steam of radiator fluid or whatever that usually happens when these engines fail like (sighs) something blew up in that motor Oof, yeah it was terrifying not not to mention uh trying to get out of a flaming car a car that is with the fire rapidly increasing in in size and intensity and trying to exit the car while the car is rolling backwards down a hill like and like you know and it's like rolling backwards down a hill if you look at where the car would have ended up and like carlos even said this he's like it would have just kept going what he and i'm i'm sure this is just like a translation thing of like, he didn't finish that sentence. The car was going to go back onto the track and into the racing line. And it was going to be a car that was on fire and exploding. That was like mm-hmm. going into the racing line of an unsighted turn. 
So like that would have been mo- maybe the most awful uh, accident we could have imagined. Uh, it, that car would have exploded when the next car hit it. And then there's like multiple exploding cars on a track uh, before anyone can get to it. So it was just, yeah, that was horrifying. Seeing the marshal, they cut away as the marshal like jammed his hand into the fucking mud flap and that like weird aerodynamic yeah. flap and the wheel like he was on the front right tire and he like kind of positioned his arm like right on the inside of that and was trying to hold the whole car from rolling back as it's on fire and then they cut the video and i like stood up and i was like whoa 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 wait a second yeah that that to me seemed like another very intentional like oh we got to turn this off because we we might see uh you know, someone get dragged <laughs> underneath a flaming car right now. Like, yeah, yeah, that was that. Yeah, I'm glad everything's OK and I can like kind of laugh about it and joke about it a little bit. Uh, and I was laughing and joking about it afterwards, but it was after I saw that everyone was OK that. But that was horrifying seeing Carlos just sitting like <sighs> sitting on that hill looking off into the middle distance doing the most carlos signs face yeah imagine Blow, blowing his hair up off of his forehead yeah. by sticking his lower lip out you know like yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, only uh, doing that after he's like scrunched his like scrunched his nose all the way up uh squinted his eyes um and then like releases that into like the blowing of the oh god it was i feel so bad but it's so cinematic uh carlos signs is one of the most coming it's becoming his like trademark move yeah that's his uh like usually when you see drivers walking back through the pit lane is when you're like oh these are the moments that you see them at their like most despondent they're just carlos takes his helmet off almost immediately after these crashes and just sits next to the car uh and it's the imagery is incredible him looking back at the flaming car as he's walking away. There's like an amazing still image of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't mean to be like delighting in this, but it's funny at this point. John, you sent me a screenshot of Pagli- Pagliacci. <laughs> it is it is Scuderia Pagliacci at, at their finest. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, it's uh it's 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 rough uh so yeah that's a that's a team dynamic right there yep so that's Um, that's ferrari losing and the one of their drivers winning losing losing critical points and also being able to suppress some of max verstappen's points as well exactly exactly so it really is it's not a total loss for ferrari um i loved that there was they immediately cut to uh Matea on the pit wall uh after Charles won oh. and like he just he was drained like he couldn't even be excited it, like and it yeah. wasn't that like oh no I had one of my cars not do well and one of them do like really it was that like I don't know how to feel right um and just watching that man specifically not know how to feel is is a sight to behold cuz he has no neutral appearance he looks hilarious no matter what uh even <laughs> even with like the mask covering his face like you can see the there's like a look behind his eyes uh with his his hair flopping around it's just it's so amazing i don't like to see ferrari fail um but it is 
very entertaining to watch the reactions of their staff when they fail. It's uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So so all right. Yeah. So, let's, let's, so let's keep bopping around there, here. There's there's another random moment in the race that gave me tremendous delight, as I'm sure it did for you as well. So I'm trying to think of who's an actor, like a character actor, a, you know, supporting actor that like, no matter where they pop up unexpectedly in a film, you're always like delighted and you're always like, oh, nice. There's, you know, Luis Guzman. I love that guy. Yeah. You yeah. Um, um, hmm. Someone who I'm always delighted that pops up in a film. I mean, I guess I'd say... He, I mean, he's no longer with us, but uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Whenever Philip Seymour Hoffman popped yeah. up in a film, I'd always yeah. be like, this is going to be yeah, amazing. Especially, especially in like early to middle stage of his career when he wasn't, you know, a known guy, but you would see him and you'd be like, oh, it's that guy. I got to yeah. figure out what that guy's name is. Like, he's great. Like the um, like his role in Twister, like that kind of like, <laughs> you're just like, oh yeah, I love that guy. I'd, yeah. I yeah. completely forgot about exactly. it. It's like, that's like, exactly. that's like Jack, Jack Black being one of the computer hackers in enemy of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it really yeah. is a like, oh, um, that guy's in this and he's doing that. I love that. I love that. I'd see him in anything. So yeah, yeah, I'd say. So, so there's a, there's a moment in this cinematic Grand Prix that's unfolding where yeah. we cut to Alonzo who's carving his way through through Ugh. the field beautifully as as he's as he tends to do and i feel like he's just like a fun magnet like he just yeah. wherever he goes it's not just that he creates some exciting racing but it like ripples outwards from him and so it was all about him carving his way past so uh, stupid. Zhou Guan Yu and we're we're watching this happen and we're watching this battle between him and and Joe and like almost like completely out of nowhere all of a sudden like within an instant it goes from being Alonzo versus Joe Guan Yu to being Alonzo versus Joe versus Kevin Magnuson, Mick Schumacher and Lando Norris. Yeah. Five cars all like swapping and I I still haven't like tracked who started where no, and then I don't, ended I, up I'm, where I'm, it was just like was, a that was, was the like point, the, yeah. yeah it was like the moving cup game of just all these cars these five cars swapping spaces going into corners yeah. like almost like as a five car group uh and that just brought like, tremendous like, joy to me i i love that like they looked like fighter jets like they looked like fighter jets flying yes, in formation yeah, yeah. uh and it yep, was such a yep, cool yep, yep. it was so precise and so respectful and so just like visually enjoyable uh to, but also overwhelming because i was like ah anything ah like i kept doing the thing where i'd like almost stand up out of my seat and then sit back down because i was expecting uh, an accident to happen and especially because they there was the the two hosses were involved in that so we've got like two yeah. teammates who were involved in this jockeying of four position so they can't really fight a team battle and they're also truly competing for points and positions so it's re like there was no quarter but it was also so fun to watch and so yeah um Oh God! Incredible, incredible. Um, that was that was one of my favorite moments. There was another absolutely incredible moment in this race, and this is like well after the fact. I don't know 
what happened, like why he was so far back, why he was battling Tsunoda at a certain point. Alonzo passes Yuki Tsunoda, and he passes him on the grass. Two of his four wheels are off the grass. Now, folks, if you're unfamiliar with Formula One, you are like, yeah, whatever, you went off the road a little bit. Anytime a car goes off the road, it's like, uh-oh, accident, it's going to happen. Um, but you lose traction, you lose downforce, you lose everything that keeps that car stable. If you go off the pavement, you are in trouble. Fernando deliberately goes off the pavement, passes Yuki Sonoda, and as he's passing Yuki Sonoda, doing 180-some-odd miles an hour, turns completely sideways, looks at Yuki Sonoda, and pulls a hand off the wheel and wags a finger as if to say, no, 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 Yuki, no, no, no. And it was like, Yuki was defending that position. It's not like he had like mm-hmm. no right to defend it. It was this moment of like, talk. It, I think that that was just Alonzo talking someone because he was then asked about it after the race. And he was like, it was nothing. It's like, oh, you were you were talking smack to someone, showing someone that you could drive off the track and pass them and doing like the like, uh, what is, is a, it? it? Yeah, it's like it's the, an older statesman move, you know, like yeah. that's what it is. It's yes. the oh, I love it's it. I loved it. I I hated it because it's like that's so it is such disrespect, <laughs> but also at the same time, it is so earned i I felt like it i felt like it perfectly fit the you know one of the oldest uh drivers in the sport and one of the youngest you know like that was that was the the exact scenario where that should be happening exactly and also fully fully on board with it and also like it's that kind of like yuki looking at the older version of himself and alonzo looking at the younger version of himself because alonzo used to be a massive hothead um, like yep. a massive hothead yep, yep. in the cockpit. And like, if you're looking at uh, Yuki and looking at his behavior uh, and all the attention he gets, it's because he's a hothead. So watching Alonzo literally pass him on the grass, <laughs> wag a finger at him uh, was just, it was this amazing moment. I loved it. Uh, wildly disrespectful, but I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I want more of those moments from Alonzo. It's why he's good for the sport. I hate him so much sometimes, but he's also so good for the sport. Uh, he, yeah, uh, him and Vettel need to stay in for as long as they can. They they are just doing great work uh, in all areas of the sport uh, with scrutineering like the rules, like uh, Alonzo being like, "I am going to adhere to the rules, especially if the rules give me an unfair advantage to prove to you that this rule is bullshit and you need to change the rule." It's not him doing it to exploit it for gain it's him being like these rules need to be fair no one should be able to exploit them and if they're exploitable i will do it to show you that it's an unfair rule and you need to change it uh same with vettel where he's like yeah we need sustainable models we need to be more concerned with the way that we treat the environment and the way that we treat these places and the people that we're going to uh do these races in front of so i love that they're in the sport what what else from the grand prix stuck out to you johnny oh i mean that that five car wide scrum was probably one of my favorite moments yeah. uh, and it was nice to see some some action at the front and see uh you know Charles make his way around Max yeah to get into uh into first place uh multiple you know, times I'm, multiple yeah, times multiple this times. Race. yeah and, and I mean I I can't like I'm almost taking it for granted now but it's 
amazing that we get to now regularly see actual battles, actual passing happening on track for the win of the race. I mean, this sport has had decades of races where it's a parade from the start of the race until the end, and there's a little bit of action maybe somewhere in the middle of the pack, and that's it. Or there's this sort of like, oh, maybe... Maybe a position will change based on the speed of the pit stops and and whatnot. But to see this action happening and it happening directly for the win of the race is uh, outstanding. It's really impressive. Yeah, it really is. And that's not lost on me either. That's one of those things where we have become, I'm amazed at how quickly I have become used to this style of racing based on the style of racing that we have seen for most of our adult lives as fans of this sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's impressive that that we're getting these kind of battles. And we're not just getting these kind of battles between opposing teams, but we're seeing teammates battling each other too. And there is this kind of freedom to race for the most part. And I think why we're seeing so much pushback when a team orders issue shows up, when Red Bull lets uh, Max go by Sergio, and it's like, ugh, don't do that. Let them like let them race like everyone else is. Uh, we've become very, very used to that now. Where it's like, hey, we referenced multi twenty one. We referenced the fact that pit stops were the the way that people won races and continue to win races. Qualifying position creates these parades that we're just watching. Okay, we're watching fifty laps, um, and someone's going to win by twenty seconds. Like that is. That was boring racing, and now we're getting races back-to-back, weekend after weekend, where I'm like, I'm exhausted after watching that race. <laughs> like I'm genuinely mm-hmm. tired, and it's great. Instead of being like, I'm bored into a nap during this race. Yeah. Because yep. we both have done that, John, and it's, yep. it, oh, sucks. Yeah. it sucks to be bored during a race, uh, and that's just not happening anymore, and I love it. Um, just so just to, to rip through some other points that I, I saw during the race, uh, as well. And then we'll get to that final little bit of drama. The, uh, <laughs> I loved when, uh, Ferrari, this is like pre, uh, Carlos, everything going sideways. You hear, uh, the engineer come over <laughs> and be like, we are going with plan E plan echo. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, I'm sorry. Plan, we're already at plan E. Are is Ferrari trolling us? Are they trolling the other teams and trolling the broadcasters? Because I heard Julian Palmer talk about this on a podcast, being like, How did we get to strategy D? We're like, we're in a sprint race. How are you at strategy D? Like, so I love that. Yeah, Ferrari's like, we're just going with plan E early on in the race. Uh, which yep. then unfortunately there was also, I think. F1 troll uh, posted this. Yes. Or someone was like, yes. plan E is yes. plan explode. Is it plan explode? Because that's what it was. Yep. Uh, so that was funny, tragic, but but very funny. Watching uh, Magnuson and Norris, that battle on lap 25, where there was some leapfrogging action happening uh, at the start of that, the, the, the scrum that happened in like those middle laps. Um, we had Ocon and Sonoda, Alonzo and Joe, Magnuson and Norris, and that that was the the six uh, 
the sixth some i guess that was happening on that race uh mm-hmm. in that in that battle um and joe eventually backed out he had to i think pit so he dropped out of that battle eventually but then we had who else did we have oh we had uh leclerc pitting uh on lap 27 and signs pitting back-to-back ferrari pit stops one that was 2.6 seconds one that was 2.3 seconds and once that pit stop happened i was like i can unclench uh ferrari seems as though they have it together mm-hmm. and it looked like they were actually going to potentially have a one-two finish or at least they weren't messing up strategy and like they, they yep. both came out on hard tires too and they swapped space it was it was great latifi uh retired that was like a pretty quick retirement that didn't cause any safety cars who else retired before that uh was it botas retired before that Somebody else did too. Or no, it was uh it was Perez. Yeah, Perez had to retire. Yeah, they the yeah, they wheeled him in on yep. 26 on lap 26. We had Latifi on lap 51. Hamilton pits a 3.8 second long pit stop that like I was like, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do a That pit was stop. two whole positions. It was he, definitely two whole positions. He literally came out behind Stroll and Ocon. Like he lost those two positions and then spent a lap uh, making them up. Luckily, I think Stroll pitted right away and then Ocon, he got on like the next lap. But it was still like, come on, guys. Uh, and it was the front right tire. It was stuck. It was stuck on. So like they were just struggling to get it off for whatever reason. Sometimes happens <laughs> in pit stops. But it just sucked that it. I thought that was going to ruin <laughs> Hamilton's race, and it almost did because mm-hmm. he came out uh, battling on cold tires. And I, that's always scary when he's battling, especially when he's battling Esteban Ocon on cold tires. This has happened before, and it ruined Hamilton's race. So mm-hmm. that was terrifying. But he got the spots back. The Russell and Alonso battle. Uh, lap 55 was pretty dope then uh yeah then carlos carlos lost it uh that was so upsetting uh which that triggered the virtual safety car i thought there was going to be a full safety car since there was a car on fire but yeah i i think when and it wasn't apparent at this the moment that his incident happened but he had actually pulled off to a pretty safe area yeah where no car if a car had lost its brakes and just gone straight off track there would have been no chance of it, it wouldn't have yeah hitting, it was like hitting his hill. car or yeah. the yeah or the the rescue equipment or anything so just that they couldn't so it was clear the but car. it was it was a bummer because a because a proper safety car would have really ratcheted up some other fun possibilities yeah. including including just seeing Hamilton maybe yeah. get a little deeper into the fray. Cause it could, yeah, he ended up finishing 30 seconds behind everyone else uh, for third yeah. place. But if there was a safety car that would have absolutely created a situation where he would have been fighting for not just position, but he would have been fighting Verstappen for position and maybe even mm-hmm. um, pushing Leclerc to make a mistake because, Hey, we had some wildness at the end there. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's talk about Leclerc's madness at the end of the race. The last, what was it, four laps? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was awful. I thought Ferrari was about to have a double to, DNF. to lose both cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he was he was, and, and I didn't hear the full story of what was happening, but it sounded like his throttle pedal wasn't 
returning yeah to you know a zero position after taking his foot off of it right yeah so the idea uh so just to go into a little bit of detail with the sequential paddle shifting basically it's electronically controlled so that you cannot be on the throttle in the middle of a shift uh the the engine automatically blips uh, the the uh, the throttle um, up to exactly where it needs to be in order to change gears. So in order to do that, the throttle has to go to zero percent. So when you take your foot off the gas, the throttle immediately like stops functioning. So what was happening with Ferrari is it was getting stuck between fifteen and twenty percent on. So Charles was quite literally having to wiggle his foot around and use his toes to pull. <sighs> the throttle pedal back up to get it unstuck. And like that worked a couple of times. And Ferrari was like, great problem fixed. Then he came back on the radio and was like, guys, it's doing it again. And the second time it happened, he couldn't make it stop. So he was then having to lift and coast. So he'd enter a corner and have to take his foot off the throttle as Max Verstappen is gaining tenths of a second on these last few laps Hmm. Also, there's the added bonus of if your f- throttle is sticking at 20%, what's to say it's not going to stick at 100%? So that's the the only thing scarier to a race car driver is, is having a brake pedal failure. Having your brake pedal fail is the scariest thing. One of the scariest things to happen if you're in a race car. I'd say maybe even the scarier thing is to have your throttle stuck on because then you can't decelerate. And that can not just get you in trouble with like, oh, you cause a spin out or whatever, but you could just launch directly into a barrier because your throttle is stuck at 100% and you're doing 200 miles an hour down a straight. Like that's my, my, uh, my, my old man, uh, shout out to Phil Lepore. Mm. He, uh, he once was instructing a driver at Lime Rock, beautiful, uh, track in in connecticut student uh was driving a porsche 911 and i think it was before the session the session started and caught this guy off guard and he was scrambling to get into the car and get going and he didn't switch into his uh racing shoes that he had brought with him and instead rolled out with his with his boots on like work boots or something like that. Oh. And uh at that little uh whoops in the in in Lime Rock, which is kind of the scariest spot mm-hmm. on the track, uh Porsche 911 spins, goes off tire wall. Uh my dad, you know, whacks his head on the, you know, inside of the roof of the car and all this, all this stuff. And the car comes to a stop and it's just like the engine's just screaming and he's like what the hell's going on like why is why is the why, are why is the still, engine yeah. roaring right now what's going on and he looks over and the guy had his uh, was grabbing his knee and trying to yank his own foot is basically his boot it just got <sighs> stuck on the throttle seat that's basically just like accidentally man. locked full throttle on so uh yeah yeah you know so imagine that with you know uh, a thousand horsepower under yeah. your under your feet, and uh, you know, doing that in a in a in a land missile. That's you know, so scary. That's so scary. So that's how Charles won the Grand Prix. That's literally. Yeah. That's yeah, how he I crossed mean, and the ama- line. And amazing that he that he sustained that and and 
you know, just even like emotionally sustained that and was able to keep world champion Max Verstappen behind him. Yeah. So as Verstappen impressive. was closing the gap, like we're watching, it was like he was, he was up by 2.8 seconds. And then by the time he fit, he finished just two seconds behind him. So he closed up in those last like few laps with awful tires. Cause Verstappen, what was happening with the Red Bull, the reason the Red Bull wasn't so strong was because there was a tire degradation thing happening. Uh, it was happening with the Ferrari too, but Red Bull, because of the way it puts power down on its rear tires, it can shred the tires if there's not enough rubber on the track to kind of like keep that friction low. And it rained on Saturday night and washed all the rubber off of that track. So any car that had severe tire wear, it was amplified. And the Red Bull struggles with that. That's like a thing that they're known for struggling with. That's always been an issue for them is like the rear end is twitchy is what you hear. Uh, the front end is too pointed and the rear end is too twitchy. It's because it's a rear limited vehicle. Um, uh, it struggles with that. So that was what was happening with Max. That's why halfway through the Grand Prix, you heard him being like, I have no rear grip. My tires, uh, this dag is terrible. Uh, it's because mm -hmm. the track wasn't rubbered in and the racing line didn't have enough rubber to prevent the tire from being shredded lap after lap after lap after lap. It's why he couldn't pull away from Charles at the beginning and why Charles was able to continuously catch him even after Max put on fresh tires is because the tires were just falling off on the Red Bull a little bit quicker than they were falling off on the Ferrari and Charles was able to capitalize on that. So. It was really, they were evenly matched. It was just a tiny bit of conditional degradation that caused the Ferrari to win the race today. <laughs> if it hadn't rained last night, Ferrari may not have won today. Like that is such a, like, I love this sport for a bunch of reasons, but that right there is like, what, what it rained, which is why Ferrari won. Not even during the race, but it rained yesterday. So it made Ferrari stronger than Red Bull by a fraction of it's, a second. Uh, oh, so it's cool. amazing. So cool. Uh, but again, overwhelming, a completely overwhelming weekend, an overwhelming race. I'm very happy that we have a week off. Uh, we don't have to go straight to yeah. Paul Ricard. But before we go, this is a long one, but like we've got to talk about this new technical directive. Have you heard anything about oh, this yes. technical directive, John? Yeah, would you would you please All right, so I'm going to I'm going to say the my stupid brain version of it and then <laughs> you please uh you please fill in all the gaps cuz I think you have a much better grasp of this than than I do. No, I mean um, slightly better. I'm still a stupid brain, but uh yeah, yeah. Uh I've done a little deep diving. So, uh, my, my understanding or you, you correct me, you know, uh, as I, as I go through this, but my understanding is effectively, it sounds as though one of the ways that, uh, the teams that have successfully dealt with the porpoising issue have dealt with it has been through introducing inconsistent levels of flexibility into the plank or the, like the floorboard that's underneath the car, which allows it to basically like flex or change shape, which mm. is technically a no, no, but it is only changing shape. And by, I, I think it's a few millimeters in specific areas. So it's been designed to be stiff 
essentially in the area where it would be measured for stiffness or flexibility. Exactly. And where it would not be evaluated, it is more flexible, which has allowed some teams to to skirt the issue of of porpoising, which is that that violent up and down bouncing is is triggered by the way the air flows underneath the vehicle. And as you had explained it to me, basically the FIA have been tipped off that, okay, there may be something going on here. Mm -hmm. And the biggest key or clue that we've seen is that uh, Red Bull and Ferrari are the two teams that immediately have uh stood up to say no 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 no. we don't have to we don't have to investigate this no need to look into this this isn't a thing don't worry about it whatever yep um that's pr- did i mean I, did that, I, that's pretty spot on yeah close? yeah that's um okay. so it's just a, a couple of corrections one is it's it's the porpoising and the track strikes so it's not just the right, oscillation right. itself it's when the car but it's the the way the porpoising is turning into literal like neck slamming pain, yeah you know so yeah. basically what's happening is there's a, a floor flexibility issue that uh is being regulated up until basically like the knees of the driver. So there's this wooden plank that sits underneath these F1 cars. Uh, that's like a titanium uh, that's like infused with like titanium skid plates all around. It has like skid plates bordering it and it's a wood plank itself. And that wood plank needs to, can only flex up to, I think it's 22 millimeters. Um, but they only measure it between the driver's feet where the plank starts uh, it's like that weird little keel that you see underneath the the cockpit of the car. That's where the plank starts. And then it goes all the way to almost like the back of the car. Um, all the way behind the, the driver himself. Like a few, maybe like a, a foot or two behind the driver is where the plank ends. So they're only measuring the stiffness of that plank up until the driver's knees. And what it looks like happened is Ferrari and Red Bull have introduced two bits of technology. Um, one is, uh, this is like brand new, um, that just showed up is there's uh, a skid plate. So the skid plate itself that sits on top of this plank recesses up into the floor is able to like recess and flex up into the actual Venturi tunnels and floor, like that floor body. So that by itself is like a, Hey, wait a second. That's, we didn't say that that was okay. But in addition to that, the thing that like first got the attention was the fact that they are looking at that rear skid plate and the skid plate itself can flex. And basically when the driver's butts are hitting the track, uh, the skid plates are functioning as uh, a cushion. So it's like preventing these track strikes from being so violent. So it literally cushions and takes out some of the physical energy of those track strikes so that when it bounces back up, the oscillation isn't as severe. So it, as soon as the porpoising begins, if a track strike occurs, this floor plank allegedly immediately offsets the porpoising and d- like kind of deadens the, uh, the, the oscillation that's happening. So that's one mm-hmm. thing that's happening. And the fact that the skid plate is also kind of like squeezing up into the floor is also helping yeah. them uh, keep that uh, that floor seal from becoming disrupted and all these extra vortices uh, forming basically when these track strikes happen 
and then when the floor gets away from the actual track surface itself. So the technical directive initially was to say, hey, we're going to monitor the oscillation, the actual bouncing. And everyone was like, ooh, Mercedes is screwed (laughs) because now they're going to have to redesign their car. And what's ultimately happening is the scrutineering seems to have revealed an advantage that the other that these two top teams who are fighting for the world drivers championship and constructors championship it's the thing that they're using so those two teams were immediately like hey we don't need to look at that this closely it looks like mercedes fixed their problem so like well not maybe we wait a few races yeah not even an advantage but a skirting of the rules yeah so it's like the intention of the rules versus the actual rules that's the so what yeah and and why are we so excited about this revelation Corey? what could this mean because this basically means ferrari and red bull will have to eliminate their advantage while simultaneously mercedes has figured out how to not need this advantage in order to close the the performance gap so ferrari and red bull the top two teams will lose pace when this goes into effect. And Mercedes will potentially be reset to where Mercedes was four races ago. Yes, pre-Barcelona. So. Yeah. So pre-floor upgrades, pre like sorting out the porpoising issue. So we may now see, much like we've seen Alpine bring upgrades and updates and immediately starting to deal with the porpoising issue. That's what happened when they brought upgrades last weekend and they fixed it. But Red Bull and Ferrari may now have to address those issues. It's not going to happen until the Belgian Grand Prix, though. So initially, it was slated to go into effect at Silverstone. They were like, no, no, let's hold off on this. We don't know how to necessarily measure it. Let's get some metrics. So let's hold off until after Austria. And then they were like, okay, ah, we didn't get all the data that we needed. So we can't necessarily put it into effect at France. So let's wait until after France. Let's wait until the Belgian Grand Prix. So it's like moving further and further back in the season, which starts to smell a little funny. If the two teams who are struggling, who may struggle, are leading the championship, and all of a sudden the rules are being bent to favor them a little bit, whilst not favoring anybody else, that starts to get a little dirty. So... Let's keep an eye on this. We'll probably have more to talk about it next weekend. Uh, But yeah, uh, this is something to definitely, we may see a vast swing in the way that the championship looks after the Belgian Grand Prix, depending on if these regulations or this directive goes into effect. So, right, right, right. Ah, so yeah, that's Mm. it. Do you think, uh, do you think the stock went up this week, Johnny? Yes, I do, because uh, a race that was entirely, you know, this sort of team-focused effort with a lot of strategy was still very exciting. And I think in the past, when you would describe a race that way or make an argument for a race that way, it was usually because the racing, the, the level of excitement was piss poor. And I thought this was a ton of fun to watch, really engaging, really exciting. And I think it, you know, shows a deeper side of the sport to newer fans who are who are coming on board with it. And and I, I would like to think is still very engaging to them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's the stock has definitely gone up, especially because it's a sprint race. And there's been kind of like uh, people are a little tepid about the way sprint races work out and that they like ruin the weekend, kind of disrupts the action. I think there was 
Great action in qualifying on Friday. Great action in the sprint on Saturday. And incredible action in the Grand Prix uh, today. So I think I think the stock went up. Uh, any of the naysayers, any of the people who were hesitant about sprint races, I think kind of can't really speak about it anymore. Um, literally, the people who were complaining about it were the presenters. Uh, and they're like, eh, it'd be nice to have laurels instead of medals. If that's where we've gotten to with sprint races, like, great, great. If that's the thing we're complaining about, I'm totally fine with that. Um, the point allocation is good. Uh, I think the action that's happening is good. The length is good. The strategy that we saw play out in the Grand Prix and the action, that's what maybe felt overwhelming to me is that usually when a strategy race is happening, I'm like, okay, I can focus on like, what are the teams going to do? I can like literally swap over to the other channel and listen to like team radio and be like, okay, well, I can not pay too close of attention to the action on track because it's more in the pits and on the pit wall. But this was like, I don't know where to look. So much is happening all the time. It's like, it's too much. I can't even like use the bathroom. Uh, I had to like hold my bladder until the end of the race. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't not watch the end of this in real time. Um, Charles, Charles car might fall apart underneath him as he crosses the finish line. Yep. And I need to witness that in real time. Uh, yeah, it was great though. I, I thought this was great. Stock went up on the scale of one to 10, a six, because it was scary to me. <laughs> Um, I think, uh, but that's the only reason I rated it so, uh, so middle in such a middling way, uh, is cause it was like a lot for me, but in a good way, in a very good way. Where can the folks out there find you online, Johnny? Uh, you can find me mostly active on, uh, on Twitter, uh, via Johnny motion. Um, and, uh, yeah, keep up with me there and you'll hear me rabbling about you know maybe some formula one maybe some automotive tech maybe some some other fun geeky stuff as well mm-hmm. Corey, where can the folks find you out in the world uh you can get at me uh burn cory burn is the handle on all my social media stuff uh i am excited we've got some uh some news coming up for the upright citizens brigade theater this coming week so keep mm-hmm. uh keep keeping eye out or an ear out for that um and we uh if you're going to be at san diego comic-con i would love to see you i will be there i will be doing stuff can't really say what it is but i will be doing stuff there so if you see me uh say hello but don't disrupt whatever is happening if you see me so wait until maybe after whatever's happening uh wait until a moment where it's not like uh you know uh you'll see uh all right folks have i can't i can't wait for this recording to be over so you can tell so you i can tell you yeah yeah, I'm gonna tell, yeah john's gonna know everything about this and y'all have to wait a week or two uh to find out all right folks we will catch up with you next time on the f1 files <laughs> <laughs>